0: Thank you, Rick. And we're just going to continue that study in John chapter 3 that Rick did a fine job of introducing to us and reminding us that just like Nicodemus, we must be born again. So open in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John 3, verses 1 through 15 this morning. We're continuing our our chronological study through the Gospels. and This is where we are today. John 3, verses 1 through 15. This is the Word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we Father, we do thank you again this morning for the time of worship we've already experienced through singing praises and hymns to you. We thank you for our time of worship that we've spent in communion with you and communing with each other. We thank you for the the worship through the prayers that have been offered already. And now, Lord, we, we turn our hearts to you and worship you through the sermon. We worship you, Lord, as we listen to your word being proclaimed. Father, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us, that we would be humble, that we would be pliable, that you would take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, as you have promised. Lord, there are some in the congregation who, who have yet to hope in you, who have yet to trust in you, who don't believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, it, it takes a miracle. It takes an act from you, an act from your Holy Spirit to awaken, awaken those. And so we pray, Lord, that you would be kind to them now and grant them repentance as they hear your gospel proclaimed, that they may turn to you, that they may believe and have life. Lord, again, we pray for our own hearts. I pray for my heart. I ask that you would, again, crush my pride, help me to be humble and submitted to your word, crush the pride of those who are listening as well. Lord, that we may know that you are God. You are God, and we are not. We thank you this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 1 then starts, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the most rigorously religious of all the Jewish groups. They were committed to the study of the law, to discipline, and law-keeping. Their name actually comes from a Hebrew verb meaning to separate. So these people were the separated ones in the sense of being zealous for the Mosaic law. Unlike the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in resurrection. They believed in resurrection and And so one way to remember the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which I learned in Sunday school as a little boy, is the Pharisees are fair, you see, because they believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees are sad, you see, because they do not. So Nicodemus, thank God for Sunday school teachers, right? Thank God for Sunday school teachers and their little funny ways of helping us remember things. Nicodemus was no normal Pharisee, though. He was a ruler of the Jews. That is, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the governing council of Israel. It consisted of 71 members presided over by the reigning high priest. It included men from the influential priestly families, scribes, and any former high priest that was still living. The fact that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin may explain why he came to Jesus at night. And we see in verse 2 it says, "This man came to Jesus by night." Remember, later in John's gospel, there is a man who was born blind who Jesus heals. And the Pharisees come to his parents and they start to start to interrogate this man's parents. And listen to what his parents say in John 9:21-22. They ask him how this happened and And the parents say this, But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And then John puts in this parenthetical little statement. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So that's a possibility of why Jesus or why Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. But there may be more going on here than just a man who is afraid or embarrassed or possibly intimidated to be found out. John, the writer of this gospel, is a great writer. It is the Word of God. It is a gospel. But John also is a beautiful writer, poetic and lyrical. And I encourage you to read the Gospel of John again and, and notice light throughout the gospel. Notice the idea of glory throughout the gospel. Notice the idea of darkness throughout the gospel. And here, there's a possibility that what John is telling us is kind of on two levels. He's telling us that, yes, Nicodemus is a Jewish leader. He's a respected man, a religious man, a devout man, a conservative man, a legalistically righteous man, committed to the law. But I believe he's telling us that Nicodemus is in the dark. He's in the dark. He comes at night. And yes, it is factually night, but also Nicodemus is still in the dark. No amount of religious fervor or pious activity can cause us to be in the kingdom of God. You see, eternity hangs in the balance when we talk about the new birth. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All of Nicodemus' religion, all of his amazing pharisaical study, all of his discipline, all of his law-keeping cannot replace the need for the new birth. What Nicodemus needs and what you and I need is not new religion, it's new life. New life. In one sense, of course, Nicodemus is alive. He's breathing, he's thinking, he's acting. He's human, created in God's image, but evidently Jesus thinks that he's dead. There's no spiritual life in Nicodemus. Spiritually, he is unborn. He needs life, not more religious activity, not more religious zeal. He's got plenty of that. And we have to be convicted by this because, in many ways, aren't we Nicodemus? We're religious, we're zealous. We're active. We're spinning around. Some of you guys are like, whoa, you know, you're here all the time, right? We read our Bibles every day. We do all sorts of things. We're conservative. But Jesus sees this man and says, you must be born again. Nicodemus then says this in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, Recognizing the power of God in Jesus and His authority to do miracles does not cause one to be in the kingdom of God. Seeing signs and wonders and being amazed at them and giving the miracle worker credit for them that he is from God saves no one. This is one of the great dangers of signs and wonders. You see, because you don't need a new heart to be amazed by them. The old, fallen human nature is all that's needed to be amazed at signs and wonders. And the old, fallen human nature is willing to say that a miracle worker is is from God. Remember, even Satan knows who Jesus is and and knows that he's from God and knows that he does miracles. James 2.9 tells us, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus. He starts by saying, "Truly, truly, I say to you." In the fourth gospel, in John's gospel, 25 times this expression is used. Sometimes referred to as the as the doubled amen, "Amen, amen." In some versions it's it's like "hear ye, hear ye." Other times "verily, verily." But here in the ESV it's "truly, truly." "Truly, truly." It's a, Jesus is saying, "I am I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man. I have come to tell you true truth. This is true truth. Get ready. Are you listening? Get ready. Jesus answers him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In Nicodemus' present state, he is unable to experience or even perceive the kingdom of God of God. I've told you before that I I I was a teacher for LA Unified for many years and and for probably about nine or ten years I taught in Watts. and We would always take our kids on different field trips and one year we had the opportunity to take our kids down to to the beach to see the ocean and I was I was dumbfounded to find out that that a few of my kids had never seen the ocean. Growing up in Watts only what maybe 10 miles I don't know from the ocean, and they've never been to the ocean. And one of my girls in particular, her name was Irene. She was in fourth or fifth grade, and she was so excited, so excited to get a chance to see the ocean. And so we get on the school buses, and we go down, and we parked it. I can't remember which place it was, but there was a grassy area, a little park, and the beach, and then there's the ocean. We parked the school buses, right, and then my kids unload. And they're like, wow, you know, and Irene says, Mr. Brian, Mr. Brian, Mr. Brian, where is it? where's the ocean? Where's the ocean? And I say, it's, it's right there. It's right there. And she says, where? Where is it? Where's the ocean? Where's the ocean? And I say, it's, it's right there. Where is it, Mr. Brian? Where? I said, Irene, you're looking right at it. She could not perceive it. She couldn't see it. And so I had to say, you see the parking lot right here? Next to the parking lot, there's grass. You see the grass of that playground? Yeah, yeah, I see that. I see that. Then you see that sand, it's kind of brown. Yeah, I see that. Look above that. You see that light blue? That's the sky, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Between the sky and the sand, that's the ocean. And she goes, oh! and she almost fell down. She said, "It's it's huge. It's huge." I said, "Yeah, it is. It's the ocean," <laughs> right? She she didn't have a category for this. She had seen pictures in books. She had heard about it but she had never seen it. She couldn't perceive it unless someone actually taught her, unless someone showed her what it was. Why can't Nicodemus see the kingdom of God? Because he is dead. He is dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, and you, that's all of us, Nicodemus included, and you Paul says also in Colossians, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. In Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And also from the great philosopher Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan says in one of his songs, Saved, he says, I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead, when I stepped out of the womb. That's actually good theology. Blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead, when I stepped out of the womb. I remember the first time I heard this teaching, and it was right here from Pastor Zach. I remember coming to this church probably 20 years ago, and one time he was saying something about children being sinners, a baby being sinful. And I remember thinking, oh, what? That's absurd. They're pure as the driven snow. I didn't have children at that time. God blessed us later with our boy Hayden, and I love my son. And uh, I'll never forget, well, what Zach said in that sermon was, he asked this question, it was very, anyway, he just said this. He said, do you ever have to teach a child to say no? I thought, huh, that's interesting. Well, I got a kid later, right? And I remember one time holding my son in my arms, and here he was, just a little bitty guy, right? And there he is. And his little arms are moving around and stuff, and he's kind of, you know, smiling and laughing. And kind of accidentally, he kind of hit my face, right? And all of a sudden, this look came into his eyes. Because I kind of react, oh, and he thought about it. I could see him thinking, and he goes, and does it again, right, on purpose. <laughs> and I say, you know, no, right? No, Hayden, no. And again, the look, power, right? <laughs> does it again. And I grab his hand, and I've taken growing kids God's way, right? I take his little hand and say, "Little squeeze, no, Hayden, no, don't hit dad, dad, no." Right? He looks at me again, smacks me again, right? And so I give him—I got to step it up, right? A little swat on the hand, right? No, Uh, no, uh, no, uh, right? Until my wife comes in and steps in and says, "Give me the boy, okay?" Two. Stubborn men, right? Locked in a battle of wills. One is a year old and the other is 45 years old, right? We laugh, but it's true, isn't it? It's true. Sinful. Sinful. You see, dead men, dead men don't see or perceive. They can't experience the kingdom of God without being born again or born from above. This is Nicodemus' helpless state, and it is ours as well. Nicodemus' next question proves that he has no understanding or perception of what Christ is talking about. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit do not marvel that i say to you you must be born again nicodemus by his question you can tell he he's thinking that he must be literally born again he this doesn't make any sense to me now the greek word that is translated again is the greek word anōthen and it can mean both again and it can also mean from above so there's a possibility that when when nicodemus hears this word anōthen he's thinking just simply again, again. But it also can also mean as well both things up from above. Theologian Hermann Ritterboss says this, that a clear argument can be made for translating anothen as from above. Just as the Redeemer comes from above, so also the Redeem must be born from above. We are not, however, dealing with an essential difference. As is evident from verses 5 and 8, Jesus had in mind the birth of the Spirit, and it is of God. So such a birth is both from above and again. So to be born again, one must be born from above. Verse 5, Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't believe that Jesus here is referring to the amniotic fluid of the natural birth. I also don't believe that this is a reference to water baptism. I believe that that Jesus is, is referring back to new covenant promises from the Old Testament. Promises that are given to the Jews and to us from the Old Testament. And I believe also, as he even talks to Nicodemus, he says, You're a teacher of the law. You should know these things. So he points Nicodemus himself back to the Old Testament, back to the old law. You should know these things. I believe Jesus is referring to Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28, where it says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Those that enter the kingdom are those who have a newness that involves a cleansing of the old and a creation of the new. So water and spirit, water and spirit here refers to two aspects of our newness of being born again. When we say a new spirit or a new heart is given to us, we don't mean that we cease to become human beings. The Kevin Bryan that I was before I was born again is still the Kevin Bryan I am today. I'm still the same person. There's continuity there, right, in my humanness. But I have been born again. But you see, since I am the same person, then there must be a cleansing. There must be a washing. And this is what Jesus is referring to. A washing of the water of the Word. A, a, a cleansing of my sinful self. A washing of the stain of sin taken away through the water of the Word, through through the process of being born again. And so I believe this water in this passage refers to the guilt that, this, uh, that, that is washed away, that must be washed away. So John 3, 6 then. John 3, 6, Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus just says simply, Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. In John 6, 63, Jesus says this, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. How much help is the flesh? None. None. The flesh can't help in the new birth. It's the spirit who gives life. One theologian, Hendrickson, says this, Jesus' word regarding the new birth shatters once for all every supposed excellence of man's attainment. All merit of humans, all prerogatives of national birth or station, spiritual birth is something one undergoes, not something one produces. As our efforts had nothing to do with our natural conception and birth, so in an analogous way but a far, on a far higher plane, Regeneration is not a work of ours. What a blow for Nicodemus. His being a Jew gave him no part in the kingdom. His being a Pharisee esteemed him holier than other people, availed him nothing. His membership in the Sanhedrin and his fame as one of its scribes went for naught. This rabbi from Galilee calmly tells him that he has not yet entered into the kingdom all on which he had built his hopes throughout a long, arduous life here, sank into ruin and became a little, worthless heap of ashes. That is profound. That is it's a serious warning for us, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. What part did you play in your spiritual... Stop, back up. What part did you play in your physical birth? Who says none? Who says some? (laughs) Zachism there, right? What part did you play in your physical birth? You just showed up, didn't you? You were there. You didn't cause yourself to be born physically. You can't stand and shake your fist at your mom and say, No one asked me to be born. I mean, you can say that because it's true. No one did ask you. No one asked you to be born. We cannot cause our physical birth. We cannot cause the new birth. Teaching about the new birth is unsettling because it refers to something that is done to us, not something we do. John 1.13 emphasizes this. It refers to the children of God as those who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Peter stresses the same thing. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. We do not cause the new birth. Any good thing that we do is a result of the new birth, not a cause of the new birth. This means that the new birth is taken out of our hands. It is not in our control. So the new birth confronts us. With our helplessness, our absolute dependence on someone outside ourselves. This is unsettling. And I, I want to be honest with you. This week as I studied for this message and, and pondered over these passages, it, it disturbed me. <laughs> because I want to think that I'm a pretty good guy. God chose me because I'm, I'm cuter than you, okay? Okay. <laughs> God chose me because I'm a special person. God chose me because, you know, God don't make no junk, right? (laughs) God, 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 no. This passage teaches us that the new birth is dependent on someone outside of me, not on me, not on me. We're told that we won't see the kingdom of God unless we're born again, and we're told that we can't make ourselves to be born again. This is unsettling. Just as in our physical birth, we are passive in our spiritual birth. John 3, 8 then. Jesus now turns and begins to illustrate to Nicodemus what he's trying to teach him by using an example from the wind. The word wind and the word spirit both are from the Greek word pneuma. They both can be... Numa can be translated both spirit and wind. And so Jesus here is doing really a play on words in a way. And the spirit is often uh, illustrated in the Bible and shown to be like a mighty wind, right? So John 3, 8, Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. One day at my house we were looking outside the front window, Hayden and I, and it was very windy. And Hayden says, dad, dad, look, look how windy it is. Man, it's really windy out there. And I say, well, how do you know? Can you see the wind? No, I can't see it. Well, how do you know it's windy? Because the tree, dad, the tree, it's going back and forth and the leaves are going all over the place and it's so windy. We see the wind, right? No, we don't see the wind. We see it's result we see the effects of the wind that's what jesus is teaching us here the work of the wind jesus says four things about the wind in this picture he says the wind blows where it wishes the wind blows where it wishes where it wills so the wind the spirit the spirit is free he he is the spirit The Spirit of God, the the third person of the Trinity, is a a person from the standpoint of His personality, who He is. It is not a force. The Spirit is not a force to be channeled and moved at our will. The Spirit Himself has a will of His own, right? He's not constrained by us. The emphasis falls on the will of the Spirit, not on ours. We just sang a little bit ago, we sang all-powerful untamable. Right? We talked about how indescribable God is. All-powerful, untamable. The Spirit of God is untamable. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, in the Chronicles of Narnia when little girl Lucy is getting ready to meet Aslan. Aslan is this great lion who rules over this fictional kingdom of, of Narnia. And Aslan is a picture of Christ. And so, Lucy talks to the beavers, the little beavers, right? And, the, and Mr. Beaver tells her, we're going to introduce you to Aslan. You, you've never met Aslan. And she says, well, who is he? And she, he, they say, he's a lion. And she says, oh, a lion? He's, is, he, is he tame? Is he tame? And Mr. Beaver says, no, no, no. He's not tame, but he's good. He's not tame, but he's good. That is the spirit of our God. I don't want a tame God. I don't want a tame God. I don't want a God who I can command, who I can control, who I can say, pick this up, fetch that, do this, do that. I don't want a tame God. If that's my God, then guess what? I am God, and He is not. I want a God who is indescribable, uncontainable, untamable who is powerful and active. So, so he, he has a will of his own. Number two, Jesus says, you hear its sound. You hear its sound. You hear the sound of the wind. This means that, that there are perceptible effects of the invisible wind. You can't see the wind, but you know there's wind because there's sound. There's pressure against, the, against your skin. Branches and leaves are flying. Dust is flying. So it's the spirit so is that it is with the Spirit and work in regeneration. We can't see Him, but we can see His effect. When we are born again, we start to act like it. There's an effect in our new birth. Jesus also says, but you don't know where it comes from. This emphasizes that you don't originate the movement of the Spirit, and you don't control the movement of the Spirit. You don't know. These words mean that there's a mystery here. The Spirit works in ways that we don't fully understand. This is like what Jesus says in Mark 4, 26-27. There He says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The kingdom of God is like that. And Jesus says in John 3, 5 that you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. That's why Jesus says we scatter the seed of the Word... And God causes new birth, and we don't know how. Jesus says at the end of that first sentence in verse 8, you don't know where it goes. He's saying you can't determine its origin. You can't determine His destination. The Spirit is free. He goes where He wills. So the point so far is that the, the wind or the Spirit is mysterious. He has a will of His own. He comes and He goes by His own laws. We don't control Him. We didn't control Him then. We don't control Him now. We don't decide where the wind goes. The wind decides what the wind does. The Spirit decides what the Spirit does. So then Jesus makes this comparison with the Spirit's work explicit. He says, You have heard how the wind works, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Literally, In this way is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You have heard how the wind works. In this way, everyone who is born of the Spirit comes into being. The point of emphasizing the freedom of the wind in producing its effect is to make plain the freedom of the Spirit in producing people who are born again. So, we don't cause the Spirit to bring about the new birth any more than we make the wind blow. Or to be more specific, the decisive act of will in the new birth is not ours. The Spirit's will is decisive. To be sure, our will moves in the moment of our new birth. Change happens in us. There are perceptible effects of the wind. We hear it sound. But the main effect of the wind, the Spirit, is that we are made alive spiritually, born again, and now our wills move. They move to receive Christ and believe on Christ. But our wills move because the wind is blowing, not the other way around. You see, some people want to take, take my illustration of the wind blowing in the trees, right? The wind is blowing on the trees and the trees are moving. <clears throat> we would ask them and say, why? 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 How do you know it's windy? Where does the wind come from? And some would say, well, when the trees do this, it makes it windy. Okay, When the waves do this, and they get white, that makes it windy. See, our problem is cause and effect, isn't it? Jesus is saying, the Spirit is the cause, you're the effect. No, when I jump up and down, and when I read my Bible every day, when I do this, when I do that, when I say something, when I do that, I don't cause myself to be born again. No, the Spirit blows on me, I am born again, and I believe, and I have faith, and I do these things. My heart is changed. My heart is changed. The things I used to hate, I love. The things I used to love, I hate, right? I am changed because I have been born again. We don't move first. Our wills are awakened and moved toward Christ because the Spirit blows where He wills and gives life to whom He wills. This is what we mean when we use the terms like sovereign grace or irresistible grace. We mean that the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit and therefore He is omnipotent and sovereign. And therefore He is irresistible and infallibly effective in His regenerating work. Which means, which doesn't mean that we we don't resist Him. We do. And, And you can remember, many of you probably, how you resisted His call for many years. You resisted. You told your mom, go away, leave me alone. Okay, Or your brother who kept giving you that Bible or whatever. You're resisting. I have a man right now that I'm working on at Starbucks. And, and pray for the man at Starbucks, okay? But this gentleman, I, 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 I've known him for now probably, I don't know, maybe two years. And I've been talking to him and, and I'm befriending him. And he's a really good guy. He's a good friend of mine. And I, and I said, let's, let's read the Bible together, right? I've witnessed to him and say, let's read the Bible together. And he just shuts me down. No, no way, no how, no, not at all, right? And so I said, okay, you know, and I'm, I, but I keep seeing him. So the other day I came in and I, I, I sat down with him again. And I invited him to church before. No, no, no. But this time I said, hey, guess, you know, I hardly ever get a chance to preach. Come and hear me preach. Come and hear me, you know, it'd be great if you heard me preach. And he says, no, no, Kevin, no, not going to go. And he says, you know what? Because, you know, those people, they just, they just, no one understands that book. It's all about this book, right? And no one understands that book. And I go, really? That's interesting. Because, you know, there was a man named Nicodemus who didn't understand this book. He came to Jesus in the night. He was in the dark. And I I basically started preaching my whole sermon to him, right? (laughs) And he's, he's like, oh, hmm, interesting. and And Jesus told him, you must be born again, right? And so I just preached my little sermon to him right there. And he listened and, huh, you know, and I, Say I'll see you again, right? He's resisting. He's resisting. But I am prayerful that the Spirit will overcome his resistance, right? Hayden and I sometimes arm wrestle, right? We sometimes arm wrestle. I like arm wrestling a six-year-old, okay? (laughs) And he can resist, right? He can resist. Little veins pop out, right? He can resist but Daddy can overcome his resistance. I can now, right? (laughs) Praise God. I can overcome his resistance. (laughs) We do resist. We do resist, but praise God, he is able to overcome all our resistance if he desires. He can make Christ look so compelling that our resistance is broken. And we freely come to Him and receive Him and believe Him. Just last night, Bruce Sheldahl was sitting right back there, right where Doug is sitting. And, uh, and every time I see Bruce think, sitting, I, I always think about Bruce talking about, I sat right here. We've heard his testimony. I sat right here, right? One day he didn't, the next day he does. One day he hates Christ, the next day he loves Christ. That is the power of the Spirit John 644 says this no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him you see that no one can come no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day John six sixty five, and he said this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father acts 1348 When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 9, 15 through 16 says this, quoting God, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In other words, the wind blows where it wills in the work of regeneration. Philippians 2, 12-13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In other words, our willing is owed to God's working. Or the very familiar... Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. At Judgment Day, you can't boast. You can't say, I was smarter than my brother, I was more righteous than my sister, I was better than the guy across the street. No, we say, thank you, Lord. I have been saved. I have been saved because of your Holy Spirit that you caused me to born again and you granted me faith and you've given me all these things as a free gift of God. John 3.38 is teaching that being born again is decisively and ultimately the work of the Spirit's will and secondarily and dependently the acting of our will. So how do we respond to this? There are two ways we can respond in some, some fashion. Some One way is to be threatened and the other is to be thrilled. One group hears this teaching and says, don't take away from me the power of my will to make the wind blow. I want to be in control. I want to I want to do what I want to do. Don't tell me that I'm utterly dependent on God's free and sovereign grace to see Christ as my supreme treasure or receive Him for what He is. This person who feels this way, he feels he must have the, the decisive power of will, the final say to move the Spirit, to make the wind blow. And we feel that way. We can, we can be threatened by this. For this person, this is, for this teaching, it's, it's bad news because it takes away my ultimate self-determination but there's another group of people who hear this and they're thrilled because they realize they are they are they are powerless they are desperate they know that they're utterly helpless and sinful and there's no way they can incline themselves toward Christ there's no way they can be good enough they know that they're dead and for this this teaching is thrilling this teaching is thrilling because it means it's all of God it's all of grace it doesn't depend on me it depends on God the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's come from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. We hear, there's hope for me. There's hope for me. God, God can blow on me. God can cause me to be born again. It's thrilling to know this, that God is free and sovereign in His grace. And He does not depend on me to do His work. He does not depend on me to do His work. So just at this point where we feel utterly helpless, and I'm sure probably Nicodemus feels that way too, Jesus kind of shifts the focus. Jesus stops describing the sovereign work of the Spirit in the new birth inside Nicodemus and inside us, and he shifts the focus off of our inner selves and onto the Son of Man. John 3, 9 through 15. He moves from really this big, deep theological discussion and just says, look, Nicodemus says to him, how can... These things be. Jesus answers again and says, Aren't you, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus points Nicodemus back to that Old Testament story of the snakes coming and biting the people of Israel and they are dying and God tells him to make that snake and put it up on a stick and look at it. Just look at it. It goes back to our sermon a few weeks ago of behold the Lamb of God. Just look as Charles Spurgeon did. Just look and live. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, just look, just look. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Listen to how John puts these ideas together in 1 John 5, 4. He says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Born of God. The key to victory is faith. The key to victory because faith is the way we experience being born of God. 1 John 5, 11, 12 says, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this is life in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Therefore, when Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the help, the flesh is no help at all. And when He says, You must be born of the Spirit in order to have life, He means in the new birth, the Holy Spirit supernaturally gives us spiritual life by connecting us with Jesus Christ through faith. For Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Those two are connected. There is no spiritual life, no eternal life apart from connection with Jesus and belief in Jesus. And so today, even now as we're concluding this sermon, we pray, even now with our eyes open, we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to come now and blow on this congregation. Come now and, and cause people who are hearing, cause the dead to come to life. Take away their deafness. Take away their blindness. Take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they may hear and believe and have faith and have life. For those of us who have life, for those of us who are born again, let our pride be crushed. Let us thank God that we are saved by grace. Christian, Christian, You're still saved by grace. You didn't just get saved by grace back there. You're still saved by grace. Jesus is keeping you by grace. The truth is, if I could lose my salvation, I would. If to be in heaven means to be holy and pure and sinless and spotless, I can't be there. I am saved by grace. I am kept by grace. I am sustained by grace, and so are you. And if you have yet to trust in Jesus Christ, this grace can be yours as well. And so when Christ returns, it thrills our hearts to say, Oh, Lord Jesus, only the believer, only those who are born again can say, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly quickly we long to see you face to face let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for the conviction that it brings we thank you that we are not dependent on anything that we must do lord it is your work we thank you holy spirit For those of us who are born again, we thank you that you have caused us to be born again, that you have brought us to life, that you've made dead people come to life. Lord, you haven't just made good people better. That's not why you came. You came to make dead men live. We thank you. Even now, we pray... For any who are hearing this message, have heard this message, that you again would blow upon their hearts. That you would cause them to be reborn so that they may have faith. That you would grant them repentance. That you would give them the gift of faith. That you would give them eternal life. We love you today, Lord. Lord, help us to live, live out the truth of these passages. Lord, help us to Be your people. Help us to do your will. Strengthen us, oh God. We love you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Elders will be up here. Need prayer. Come, don't leave without getting prayer. You feel that in your heart. Let's sing your blood. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath right, completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're me, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Your blood? Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you.